Thank you for supporting Overcomers Christian Center. From wherever you're listening, we hope that today's message leaves you feeling empowered and equipped. The book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, and verse 18. And while you're turning, let's proclaim the vision of Overcomers Christian Center. Ready? Begin. To empower the body of Christ to fulfill that God-given vision and to equip the body of Christ to become self-sufficient as was done in early church according to Acts chapter 4 and verse I want you to notice 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 18 this was written uh, this was Paul's second letter to Timothy that he wrote one that I truly believe has much to teach us from we're going to pick up one verse of scripture as we prepare for resurrection Sunday Notice 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 18. Who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection is already past, and they overthrow the faith of some. Based on that, I want to talk to you from this topic, to overthrow the faith of some. We don't want this to happen to us, but it does happen to overthrow the faith of some. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for your word this morning. And we, Lord, your presence is already here. The anointing is ministering. And we pray you will continue to minister to your sheep. Continue to feed us knowledge and understanding. Open our minds to receive what the Spirit of God is saying unto us. And we continue to bind the enemy spirits of distraction and anger and and unbelief and so forth. We bind them and cast them out. Thank you for your anointing this morning. Thank you for your awesome power ministering in this sanctuary. In Jesus' name we pray. Let those that agree say amen. To overthrow something means that the intent could be to overturn, to destroy, or to undermine the power and the authority of something, an idea or a concept, even somebody. When it comes to undermining the power and authority of our faith in the one true God, we have to be watchful as well as prayerful. When I mean by undermining, something will try to sabotage your prayer life. Something will try to eat away at your your faith or your foundation. Something will try to threaten your belief in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In the hour that we're living in, it can be tempting to listen to as well as begin to agree with various mindsets. They may sound like the faith, but when it gets down to God's written and revealed word, it's filled with partial truth. We can develop a mindset when it comes to political matters, financial matters, educational ideas, marriage and family dilemmas, even certain mindsets when it comes to our faith and the foundation of our faith, that if we're not careful, we will bring in their ideas into God's ideas. See, a mindset is a established set of attitudes and values held by someone based on their understanding and experiences. But how many know that you're always going to be learning about God? Always going to be growing about God. Always going to be maturing about God. You will never come to the place where you know everything about God. 
you always have a mindset that I'm going to learn what the Holy Spirit is teaching to me. And if I have to learn something in a better way, that's, so be it. That's just part of it. And I believe that's why Paul gave us this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. So if you don't mind, if you turn Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5, I want you to notice what it says. See, mindsets can vary from person to person, which is why the Lord tells us we need the mind of Christ. Notice Philippians 2 and 5. Philippians 2 and 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So again, let this mind, let this way of thinking, let this way of talking, let this understanding and listen, not my opinion, but his opinion be in me, which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, one of the things I had to learn and we're still learning is, is that you got to let the mind be in you. God's not going to force it. He's not going to uh, make you have the mind of Christ. You have to make a decision that I am going to have the mind of Christ. I'm going to think like Christ. I'm going to talk like Christ. I'm going to understand like Christ. And I'm no, no longer going to have my opinion, but I'm going to have his opinion concerning the situation. See, having the mind of Christ protects us from seen as well as unseen dangers, both mentally, physically, financially, spiritually, and so forth. See, people can take partial truths and mix it with man's experiences, personal gender, and really begin to eat away at the things that we know are true. See, we can find ourselves yielding to that which feels good to the flesh, our emotions, and our personal mindset, which may entice us to the point that the enemy will try to destroy our faith and the power and the authority of our one true God. That is so true. We have to be careful about truth that sounds reasonable from a man's perspective, but it's not true from God. For example, we can talk uh Truth that is logical and we can agree with or might say that it sounds good is that one that's very popular, which is common sense. Oh, you got to be careful about that common sense mentality. The question is, who is it common to? Let me let drop that on you one more spirit. Who is it common to? Because the Republicans would tell you that it's common. Democrats would tell you that it's common. Independents would tell you that it's common. Joe Blow down the street says common sense. But I realize that common is something I got to get away from. I got to stick with God's truth and let everything else be under that. Truth says this. Everybody is doing it. (laughs) It's our generation of doing things. Let me say this to you. Everybody ain't doing it. I remember one time somebody told me everybody doing this. I said, I ain't know everybody ain't doing that. Just because everybody in your circle doing that don't mean everybody else doing that. And that's how sometimes people look at life. Temptation is temptation, regardless of the generation, with an end result to overthrow, to overturn, to destroy, to undermine the power and the authority of Jesus Christ and the word of God. That's why Jesus instructs his disciples on how to deal with temptation in a manner that will prevent temptation from getting the best of them and hinder them from operating in the perfect will of God for their lives. If you don't mind, go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 26. We're going to be looking at verse 41 and verse 42. The book of Matthew, chapter 26, verse 41 and verse 42. Notice what it says. 
Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit in thee is willing, but the flesh is weak. Verse 42, again a second time. He went away and prayed, saying, O my father, if this cup cannot pass from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Let's look at this a little bit closer. He told them to watch. He says, be vigilant vigilant and be cautious and pray. Prayer is a two-way conversation between you and the Lord, between you and Jesus. And notice, watch, be vigilant, but pray. In other words, there's an and in between the two. I may not remember a lot of our English, but and means plus. That means they go together. You got to watch and pray. Everybody say watch and pray. And it's important that we watch and pray. Don't just pray and don't watch. And don't watch and don't pray. Jesus told us to watch and I heard somebody say it. Jesus said, watch and what? Watch and what? Watch and what? So notice this. He said, watch and pray lest you enter or come into existence into temptation. Temptation is the mental state by which we're enticed or lured into sin. It's rebellion against God. Because he says this, the spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. I don't know if a person in this sanctuary that don't have, they got strong uh, flesh. And when it comes to spiritual matters, everybody's flesh is weak. And again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, Oh, my father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will, your purpose, your commands, your desires be done. Let it be accomplished. Let it be performed. Let it come to pass. See, temptation and deception, deception are real as a sign that the end is here based on Mark 13, 3 through 5. So again, go to Mark 13, verses 3 through 5. We're going to look at that a little bit closer. First of all, let me tell you what temptation is. Temptation is being lured into sin and rebellion against God. And deception. Deception is to call someone to accept as true and valid what is actually false or invalid. Now, let me say this to you. Let me go ahead and put mine on the table so nobody be surprised by it. I have been deceived and I have been tempted by the enemy and I have failed. But I thank God for forgiveness. I thank God for forgiveness. I know none of y'all messed up, but just pray for me, okay? Just pray for me. Mark 13, verses 3 through 5. Mark 13, verses 3 through 5. Now, as he sat at the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled? And then in Mark 13 and 5, it reads as follows. And Jesus answered them. He began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. Take heed. Listen, discern, observe, get godly understanding that no one deceives you. No one leads you astray. No one leads you into error. No one leads you into sin. Take heed to that because people are going to try to deceive you. And let me say this to you. We're living in a day where people will try to deceive the Christian. 
They'll try to deceive the born again believers. They'll try to deceive those who love Jesus. And just like Jesus said it was going to happen, it's happening today. But I truly believe if as the Lord is helping us today, we will not be deceived. We will not be deceived. Look at somebody and tell them we will not be deceived. See, that's why we have to really rely on the power of the Holy Spirit in us to lead us, to guide us, to instruct us, and to influence us when it comes to dealing with temptation as well as deception. And to depend on what we've been listening to and meditating on, you can be easily led astray by ungodly influences, especially when our flesh is not under subjection to the will of God. That's why he says, watch and pray. Watch and pray and remain sober-minded when it comes to things that we like, be around, and partake in. In other words, things that you may come around, you got to watch them. Make sure they don't lead you astray. See, those very things can be sent to overthrow our faith in God if we're not careful. That's why the enemy, when he's dealing with someone who loves Jesus, operates in God's favor, and is fierce and better, and in the faith, he's going to try to deceive them. He's going to try to deceive them. See, that's why we see here in the church in Ephesus has allowed a different mindset to creep into the church to the point it's beginning to overthrow the faith of some. And see, from the beginning of his letters that Paul wrote to Timothy, he's reminding them to stay away from those who teach opposite of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He knew that when they began to stray away from the teachings of Jesus, it would lead them to problems and disputes in the church with the end goal to overthrow the faith of some. Once we lose confidence and conviction in Jesus and his written and revealed word, we miss out on the power of God working in us and through us. Let's go to the first letter that Timothy wrote to the church here. Uh, excuse me, the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. Again, this is the first letter. We're actually going to be dealing with the second letter, but this is the first letter to give us an idea of what Paul was dealing with. Let's start at verse 3. As I urged you when I went to Ma- into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that may teach uh, no other doctrine. In other words, he says, you got to be careful about those that try to instruct or try to impart truth, you don't want no other doctrine than what the one I've been teaching you. That's why Paul confirms this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 4. Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes rather than godly edification which is in faith. He said, don't get heat, don't turn your mind, don't devote your thoughts and efforts to fables and endless genealogies. Why? Because they cause disputes, they cause debates, they cause controversies, and they cause questioning, rather than godly edification, which is in faith. See, people will bring up, they have you arguing about stuff that don't even matter about a hill of beans. 
People will have you sitting around arguing about something that don't even matter. And some people get really offensive or really upset if you don't agree with their point of view. And you think about it, you're looking like, what are we even arguing about? This don't even matter. I mean, why am I wasting my time or my energy on something that don't even matter? And you know, nobody going to heaven or hell based on your argument. Oh, let me, all right, let me go. Let me move on. So notice this. When you have those type of disputes, people will dispute you over things like will, uh, people will question you about is Jesus real? Is Jesus real? Uh, did he really come on earth? Why do you even go to church? Is God, if God is real, why do bad things happen to good people? Why do people still get baptized? Do you really believe that God can save anybody? A murderer? A rapist? A drug dealer? Why do you bring God his tithes? And if you do give God his tithes, why do you, why do you even bring him a good offering? Did Jesus really die for your sins? Notice, useless things. Now, you can get caught up in that kind of stuff and try to argue with folks. But no, but you know, the Bible also tells have an answer for all men. But you got to have a godly answer. But then once you answer them, you ain't got to make them believe what you're telling them. Everybody see the difference there? Like, you know, this asks the question, why does, uh, why does God choose? Why does God not force anybody to do certain things? Why are things happening in other parts of the world and maybe not happening here? And I'll be honest with you, it's basically breaking down the man's decision. And what God will allow man to do what he wants to do because God is a God of choice. God lets everybody choose what they want to do. And God, and this is what I, I love about God. And, and I'm going to cut, Lord, I hear you, Lord. Let me break this down just real quickly and not get back to my message. Let me show you this real quickly. God is a God of choice. But see, choice is a powerful entity if you use right. For example, I choose to love my wife. You don't force me to love her. If you force me to love her, is that truly love? Now, God says you choose to love me if you choose to. Because I choose to love you. I love you despite your faults. I love you despite your shortcomings. I love you just the way you are. And that's what I love about God. Because he loved me and he know everything about me. You know a little bit about me and you still choose to love me, I hope. But if you find something else about me that you may not like, you may not choose to love me. You realize I got a side of me that's not godly all the time. Like, you, well, is he, should he be, should he still be a pastor? And, mm-hmm. it's choices we make. And God knows everything about you and he chooses to love you. Everything. What you would have did if you had enough money. What you, where you would have went if you had the opportunity. If you had the opportunity, you would have did this, that, and the other, but he knows that about you too. So that's why we can't be pointing fingers at everybody talking about, well, you know, if, nah, God loves us just the way we are. Is that right? Did Jesus really rise from the dead or is it just a Bible story or a fable as he talked about in the text? So as Paul begins the second letter to Timothy, the letter begins with somewhat of an introduction to Paul and his authority. So let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 
and verse 1. And let me say this before I read 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1, let me give you kind of a little bit of background into this. The second letter that Paul wrote to Timothy is one that many scholars believe is his last letter that's written uh, in the Bible. Why is that so important? Because Paul had seen many aspects of ministry. He had started churches. He had worked with leaders of the different churches. He had worked with different individuals in the church. He had worked with the founding fathers of the church. So when Paul wrote this letter, he's breaking down to us what is important in the kingdom of God. What's going to be essential in your walk with Christ? What is the things that's really going to get you into heaven? And there's some things you just need to leave alone because they're not worth it. Now follow me. Paul knew this because he knew ministry. Paul wrote to approximately two-thirds of the New Testament. And so this letter serves as something that we can learn from and we can grow from. Now let's start off in Second Timothy chapter 1 and verse 1. It says, Paul an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. So Paul, he's an apostle. He is a sent one. He was sent by God. What does he do? He's an establisher. He established churches. He established Christians. He established leadership. He was a delegate. He was one sent with orders. But his orders were not his orders, but his orders were of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when he went somewhere, he was an establisher. He was a delegate. He was sent with orders. He just didn't go on his own free will. He went with a purpose in mind. And so he went with, by the will of God according to the promise of life, which is in Christ Jesus. And see, an apostle is one of the fivefold ministry gifts with a primary purpose to serve as a delegate of God, sent with a specific orders to establish people in the faith. Preachers and pastors need others who are established in the faith to help them become more established in the faith. See, it's a different level of faith to operate when you're leading a congregation or leading a congregation of people with different ideas, ways of doing things, and ways of acting. That's why Paul was so powerful in his ministry. And see, Paul was on a mission to help Timothy and the church at Ephesus. And one thing I love about Timothy, Timothy was willing to learn. He was willing to learn. And if you're ever going to be in a any type of church atmosphere, you got to be willing to learn. Got to be willing to learn. You can't go in thinking you know everything because God is still teaching us what we need to know. And no doubt Paul was sent to Timothy to help him be established in the faith and his calling. He was sent with detailed instructions to give to Timothy specifically around the foundation of his faith, his belief, and his conviction and confidence in the written and revealed word of God. That's why I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for my bishop, Bishop Walker, my pastor, who was sent by God to help me remain established as well as get established in the faith. He's helping me to have a firm and permanent foundation. Thank God for Bishop Walker. Oh, glory be to God. I'm sorry, that's my pastor, y'all. In like matter, I was sent to OCC to help God sheep. 
our church family be firmly and established in trusting and believing in the written and revealed word of God. In other words, I'm helping you to get established as well as to establish you. Paul greets Timothy by proclaiming God's promises over his life. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 2. To Timothy, a beloved son. No, not just anybody, but a beloved son. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I like this. He says grace keeping power, favor, and strength. And then he says mercy. And mercy is not getting what one deserves. And I tell you, that's one definition I love about mercy. Not getting what we deserve. And then another definition is a desire to help. So we got grace. We got mercy. And he also proclaims over Timothy's life, peace. I want you to have tranquility. I want you to operate in the same and safety, and I want you to prosper in every aspect of your life from God the Father and from Christ Jesus our Lord. So grace, mercy, and peace he proclaims over Timothy's life. That's why it's important that we know that God has our best interests at heart. Oh, that's good to, good news for me. And not only that, our spiritual leadership has our best interests at heart. I thank God my bishop has my best interests at heart. I thank God that many of you know I've got your best interests at heart. Paul had Timothy's best interests at heart. So when he wrote the letter, uh, Timothy could read it from a standpoint. He's trying not to manipulate me. He's not, not trying to cause me to deviate from the truth. He's sending me this letter to help me. And I truly believe that God is sending us this word this morning to help us as well. He knows that what's coming down the road. So he understands that we need help in this process. He, this establishes trust, confidence, and a level of safety to hear and take heed to what we are, God is speaking into our lives. That's why Paul goes on to declare that for grace and mercy and peace to operate in our lives. Then we go on to Second uh, Timothy chapter 1 and verse 3. I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did, as without ceasing, I remember you in my prayers night and day. Notice this. Paul said this. I serve you with a pure, a clean, a free from corruption conscience, as my forefathers did. Oh, thank God that he did, too, because you understand that Paul was not. Oh, Paul had some issue coming up, y'all. Y'all know this is the same Paul that was killing Christians before he got converted. This was the same Paul that told people off that, that didn't quite fit into what he wanted. He would tell them off. This is the same Paul that did things that you may not have agreed with, but he says, I have a pure conscience. I thought about this. See, and with, this is something we all need to grab a hold of. We need to understand that God is a forgiving God. He is a forgiving God, and we need to understand the power of forgiving ourselves. Forgiving ourselves. Because if he had a pure conscience, that means that he had forgiven himself. And this is what we, some of us need to learn is how to forgive ourselves. Yeah, we know you messed up. 
Yeah, you know you messed up. You did stuff that nobody knows about and God dealt with your heart and then the enemy would try to hold it over your head. You got to learn how to forgive yourself. Listen, you can't let other people hold you in bondage neither. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who in Christ Jesus who walk after the spirit and not after the flesh. You can't let people condemn you neither. Because Paul said, I serve you with a pure conscience. I have forgiven myself. And not only that, I've forgiven those that have did evil against me. Oh, Paul was a man, I could serve you out of a pure conscience. When I come to you, I'm pure in my thoughts towards you. I'm pure. You could have did me wrong. But yet I serve God out of a pure conscience. And some of us need to have that kind of mindset. And the thing that came to my mind was this. We need to learn how to forgive ourselves. We need to learn how to forgive ourselves. Yeah, you didn't pray like you should. Yeah, you didn't give like you should. Yeah, you didn't do this, that, and the other as the Bible instructs us to do. But ask God to forgive you and try to do better next time. Because there's people in this sanctuary... Some of us got to learn how to forgive ourselves. We And then because you forgive yourself, the enemy can't hold it over your head. Because he'll try to manipulate you with that kind of stuff. You say, how can you talk to them about Jesus when you are the way you are? How can you witness about Jesus when you did that last night? How can you do this, that, and the other for the kingdom? How can you minister? How can you give? How can you go to church when you know what you did last Saturday night at midnight? and What you saw on your phone, you have not repented of yet. What you did, this, that, and the other, you got to forgive yourself. You ask God to forgive you, and then you forgive yourself. That's why Jesus shed his blood back at Calvary so we can have forgiveness of sins. Thank God for forgiveness of sins. Because many of us have messed up. And the enemy will try to hold that over your head. You know how you are. You know what you did the other day. And, you, and they, listen, you be leading, be, being led to go witness a person A or person B. And then the enemy said, oh, you know what you did the other day. And before you get there, you be on, your head, mind be on God, whooped by the enemy. That, listen, between me and that first row right there, the enemy can whoop your mind. And before you even get there, good, your mind is already whooped. And you, can, and, but you can't make it all the way because of stuff you did in the past. God forgive, gave, forgave you. Let me tell you something. When God sent you to witness somebody, he knows everything you've done. He knows everything you've done. He knows everything you've done. And he still tell you, go tell them about me. <laughs> Y'all got it? He had a pure conscience. He had a pure conscience. As my forefathers did, I remember you in my prayers night and day. In other words, every time I think about you during the night or day, I'm praying for you. I'm lifting you up before God, for God to give you strength and encouragement and so forth. See, Paul was letting Timothy know, I'm coming from a clean, pure uh, thought process, you, despite my past. Paul understood the power of forgiveness. You know what? And I thank God for grace and mercy. You know the, the things he talked about earlier? Oh, you can have a pure conscience before, 
because of grace and mercy. Because of grace and mercies. Despite Paul's mistakes, things not going the way they thought they should, church members, he had forgiven everybody. That's why he could write that letter from that, stand, that standpoint. And see, when you're dealing with potential deception, trickery, and such like, people need to know your motives are pure. People need to know your motives are pure. If we're going to have a pure conscience, then we need to be, have a pure conscience. That means our motives are right. I'm writing this letter to you, Paul, because my motives are right. I'm writing this to you because I have nothing to gain except you getting closer to Christ and you being edified in the church. He also lets Timothy know that he's been praying for him night and day. No doubt Paul believed in Timothy Timothy and the blood of Jesus that works in Timothy's life. And everybody thank God for the blood. Isn't the blood wonderful, y'all? Whoosh! Go to Hebrews 9.22. I want to show you this real quickly and I'm going to move on. And according to the law, almost all things are purified with blood. And without shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. No remission. No remission. No remission. No release from bondage. No pardon of sins. No forgiveness of wrongdoings according to the word of God. Listen, thank God for remission of sins. Thank God that God has forgiven us of everything we've done. That's why I'm free to serve God with a pure conscience today individually as corporately because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. This church operates because of the blood of Jesus. This church praises God because of the blood of Jesus. This church gives because of the blood of Jesus. I pray for you because of the blood. I love you because of the blood. The blood that was shed back on Calvary. Okay, let me get, let me get back. Let me get back. Second Timothy 1 and 4, greatly desire to see you, being mindful of your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. Paul had remembered the tears of Timothy during the difficult times of Timothy's ministry. Now, I don't know specifically what it was about, but I do remember this in 1 Timothy 4 and 12. Uh, Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone despise your youth. Because you, if that's the case, and it made it to the Bible, you know those folks was a handful. But Timothy, Timothy, he stayed with it. I believe that's one of the things that I, I believe that brought Paul joy and gladness because everything that Timothy went through, he stayed with them, he stayed with the assignment. He stayed with those individuals in Ephesus. And see, in my opinion, Paul knew that some of the saints could be a challenge to minister to in a godly manner. They could be a challenge. And as leaders in God's house, we must understand in ministry, not everything is going to be easy. Not everything is going to be easy. And some things that are difficult at one point may not be difficult at another point. And that's why we sometimes we're going to be challenged. We're going to be challenged. We will be challenged. The lost past fears into the deep in order to witness and tell others of the saving power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We must be stretched beyond our comfort zone in many areas, such as being asked to shift to another level in giving, praying more than five minutes a day, fasting on a regular basis, studying scripture more than Sunday, and so forth. Listen, we have to learn to go past what we can de deem normal. Therefore, if we do that, 
I believe we can be like Timothy, like Paul saw Timothy. You got genuine faith. Genuine faith. Notice 2 Timothy 1 and 5. When I call to remembrance the genuine faith, oh my God, that is in you. Notice this. He said your faith is sincere. It's authentic. It's real. It's bona fide. It is sound. You've got your trust in God is the real deal. But you know what? At first, dwell in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded is in you also. See, Paul knew Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. They trusted in the character and the nature of Christ. He grew up with people who had confidence and conviction in God and his word. And let me say this to you. If you did not grow up with these type individuals, you can start on your own. You can start on your own. You can have genuine, sincere, authentic, and real faith. See, Timothy was raised to believe in the death, the burial, and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And some of us have that same type testimony, yet the enemy or person with impure motives will try to discredit, uh, discredit our upbringing rather than celebrate it just as Paul is doing it here in the text. Some people are going to celebrate you believing in Jesus and some people are trying to discredit it. They don't want you to believe in God. They think you're, you're weird because you believe in God. And the world has the right to think that because they are the world. And when you start agreeing with the world, you're going to have problems anyway. Listen, there are going to be people that are going to try to discredit your faith. Listen, they're going to try to do what they, they do. That's just who they are. The world acts like the world. But we as born-again believers don't need to bring that type of headache on ourselves. Paul understood and he knew that people... Uh, were coming into the church and there were some people that were spreading false information about the foundation of their faith. We see that Paul acknowledged this fact and uh, that Timothy had genuine faith, but in another part of this letter, Paul seemed to be concerned that there were those who were trying to overthrow the faith of believers. Let's go to 2 Timothy 2 and 18. 2 Timothy 2, 2 and 18. I want you to notice something here. Remember, he, did, he just, in the first part of this letter, he started out talking about Paul's genuine faith. Paul, excuse me, Timothy's genuine faith. You got it from your family. But there's something that was going on in the church in Ephesus because Timothy was the, one of the leaders in some believe he was the pastor of Ephesus. He was the leader. But Paul sensed in the spirit that something was happening at his church that he needed to address. One of the instances that he talked about, one of the things he talked about was this, 2 Timothy 2 and 18. Who have strayed concerning the truth, saying that the resurrection... Notice this, it's already passed. And because of this, they overthrow the faith of 
psalm. Notice this. There's psalm in your congregation, Timothy. They have strayed. They have deviated. They have missed the mark concerning the truth. How did they miss it? Saying that the resurrection, Jesus raised from the dead, is already past. Now, why is that bad, first of all, Pastor? Let, let, me, let me share this with you. I want you to notice, first of all, how that the enemy mixed in truth with deception. Because the resurrection is real. He didn't say the resurrection, resurrection didn't happen. He just said it's already passed. Now, if it's already passed, what that means is it's not happening again. That means everybody that dies is not going to be resurrected. Everybody from this point on is not going to be resurrected. Nobody who, listen, if you missed it, you just missed it. That means we would have missed it too. The problem I have with this is this. It wasn't that everybody believed it. It was just some people believed it. Some people believed that the resurrection is already passed and it's not going to happen again. And that's a sad state to be in as a believer. Therefore, you as a believer cannot allow social media, people, people who are quote-unquote preachers who don't believe in the resurrection, worldly people who, who talk down about the resurrection, you cannot allow them to influence you. This is what happened to this church right here. And you know what the Bible says? It overthrew the faith of some. It overthrew, it, it overturned their faith. It destroyed it. It subverted it. It undermined the power and the authority of the faith of some. Not everybody, because some people said, man, get out of my face with that nonsense. But some people, they entertain what these individuals were telling them. And so you got to be some of the type of individual to say, hey, if it don't line up with scripture, I'm tossing it. Listen, I don't care how good your YouTube video look, if it don't line up with scripture, I don't care how good it looks and how well you can break down and give me all these reasons about this, that, and the other. The resurrection is still happening today. It is still. And that means that one day when you are as an individual, you make it and you pass away, you will be resurrected too. But see, one thing about it, there were some people who didn't believe that it was going to happen. And we can't be, uh, we cannot allow them to overthrow our faith. We can't allow that to happen. We always, as born again believers, have to believe in the resurrection. We have to believe in it. But unfortunately, there are those out there that downplay the resurrection. They say, you know what? Yeah, it happened, but it's over now. It's not happening again. Notice how they take partial truth and try to deceive you. Try to manipulate you and not believe in the resurrection. Now, one thing I always get a kick out of is that people will try to tell you what you got ain't true, but they got nothing better to offer you. They have nothing better to offer you. 
They didn't say your way of believing is not true, but yet the alternative is what? And you don't always have to watch out for people like that. Now let's talk a little bit about, in my closing, three traits of someone seeking to overthrow our faith. One, to stray from the truth. To stray from the truth. Stray, of course, means to deviate or miss the mark concerning the truth. We have to be watchful and prayerful. When it comes to begin, to, uh, when it comes dealing with the truth, we have to be watchful and prayerful. We got to stick with God's written and revealed word. Regardless of how we like somebody or think we admire somebody, that individual, if we're not careful, can lead us astray. Before we know it, our thinking, our actions, and our conversations are we're not reflecting the mind of Christ. You got to be careful from that from that standpoint. Second thing is saying that the resurrection is already past. In other words, they take in a partial truth. And I was thinking about this. Yeah, resurrection has taken place, but people are still being resurrected today. I'm talking about here, 2022. There are people still being resurrected. And I thank God that one day, if Jesus will come and get me in the air, that I'll be resurrected one day. I'm believing in that. I'm living my life like that. Listen, you go through all, I go through a, a thousand trials and tribulations. But as long as I know one day, Jesus is going to come back and get me. Whether he resurrect me or come and get me in there. I mean, listen, this is what we're living for. Because I'm telling you, this is temporary right here. What we're living is temporary. We're not going to live. Listen, I used to be 20-something years old. Used to run something like I had nobody business. Them days, I ain't going to say over, but they have slowed down. They have slowed down. So I know I'm getting closer to the resurrection. One way or another. The thing is, I've learned, I'm watching the TV to know, you don't know when your time has come. It's appointed on the man wants to die. And after that, the resurrection, you got to be ready. You got to be ready. Well, I got plenty of time to get ready. Do you? I mean, let's face it. Life is just real, y'all. Life is real. You got to be ready. Which I'm going to live till I get 80, 90, 100 years old. Will you? You got to be ready. You got, well, I, 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 I got this plan. I got this plan. I got this plan. And let me say this to you. And God will, thank God he will. God, he's going to use you until, when he's ready for you though, he's ready for you. I, listen, I want us to be ready when Jesus is ready for us. Everybody understand that part. So, and there are many different doctrines and teachings and religions that are in this world. I could probably name a few and you would recognize some of them. But they all have, many of them have different stand or viewpoints or mindsets on the resurrection. That's why for we thank God for scriptures like Romans 8 and 11. Romans 8 and 11 says this, But the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life, give life, hallelujah, to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Now let me go to this last point here. The third point I make is this. You've got to seek subtle ways. They, they seek in subtle ways to overthrow the faith of some. Sometimes it's subtle, sometimes it's not so subtle. But it's subtle. What's their obli- what's, what do they want to do? Overthrow the faith. 
They want to overturn it, destroy it, subvert it, undermine the power and authority of your faith. You have to watch out for these individuals because they're out there. They are out there. They are out there. We want to be believers who believe in the power of the resurrection. Believe that Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, he rose and he's alive right now. Right now. I'm talking about, no, well, I'm talking, no, right now. Right now. Right now. I know he crucified, they was crucified on, on the cross, but we celebrate the resurrection because Jesus is alive right now. Right now. He's alive right now. We're not allowed the enemy to overthrow our faith. Thank you so much for listening to today's message. Please subscribe to our podcast. And if you're ever in the Villarica area, you can visit us at 3193 South Van Wert Road in Villarica, Georgia on Sunday mornings at 10 and Wednesday evenings at 7. You can also reach us at 770-459-6221. That's 770-459-OCC1. Follow us on Facebook at Overcomers Christian Center and visit us online at occvr.org. We pray that you're empowered and equipped in today's world.